We're on a mission from God. Wendy? So I got that going. Darling? Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing blue. Light of my life. We enjoy your films. I am a human being. I thought they smelled bad on the outside. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're rewatching the 80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in real time, overanalyzing what you've seen and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today marks the 40th anniversary of the release of Zombie 2, aka Zombie, aka Zombie Flesh Eaters, aka Island of the Living Dead, aka Zombie 2 The Dead Are Among Us, on July 18th, 1980. That's a really specific title. Yeah. That's, <laughs> no, there's no AKAs for it, though. It's weird. Are, are the AKAs like different titles from different countries, or multiple titles from the same country, or multiple releases? Some are different countries, some are home video release, and different versions of the movie. It was written by Dardano Sushetti and Eliza Briganti, directed by Lucio Fulci and released by the Jerry Gross Organization. In 1978, George A. Romero's Dawn of the Dead was released in Italy, re-edited by director Dario Argento, and re-scored by The Goblins, who provided one of my all-time favorite horror scores for Argento's Suspiria. The Italian re-release was titled Zombie, Z-O-M-B-I, no E, and was a huge success in Italy. Italian copyright laws allow for any film to be marketed as a sequel to another work, and so an unofficial zombie sequel was very quickly greenlit. Director Fulci was unaware when he was working on the film of the producer's intentions to market this as a sequel to Romero's Dawn of the Dead, and was powerless to prevent it, preferring instead to release the film as Zombie, i.e., its own film unconnected to anything else. Screenwriter Dardano Sacchetti had previously worked with Fulci, and the first draft of the story was titled Nightmare Island, inspired partly by the island of Dr. Moreau, and also classic Caribbean-style zombie films like I Walked with a Zombie, the 1936 The Walking Dead, and Voodoo Island. I didn't know that 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 was a genre, that there was a classic Caribbean island zombie genre. Well, white zombie too, like all the really early like black and white zombie films and of the 50s and 60s. I don't think I've seen any of them. Oh, okay. Well, I think the first time that they really moved into like the suburbs or cities or even like rural was with George Romero's Night of the Living Dead. Before that, it had all been usually island and heavily voodoo influenced. Uh, when it released in the UK... One minute and 46 seconds of screen time had to be removed to get the film down to an X rating. However, the uncensored feature made it to the home video market where, surprise, surprise, it was labeled a video nasty in breach of the Obscene Publications Act, our first title from Section 1, the most extreme of the video nasty list. I think it's really interesting because it's, it's fairly tame from today's standards. I mean, a lot of these movies kind of are. Yeah, I of the stuff that I've that I'm familiar with in Section 1, this is not the worst of the of the three or four yeah but even giving it an x rating seems really extreme to me because it's just it, maybe we're just more lenient on blood and guts these days but that's all it is and maybe x is different in the uk i'm not oh, totally maybe. sure oh so that x rating was for the uk yes. rating system yes. okay its placement on the video nasty list was an accomplishment that the film of course parlayed into its marketing 
As advertised in the film's trailer, theatergoers were provided with barf bags before the film. Screenwriter Dardano Sacchetti had his name removed from the credits after his father passed away during pre-production. He wasn't comfortable being credited with the subject matter of dead rising from the grave only to be re-killed. And as a result, the film is credited only to his co-writer and wife, Elisa Briganti. After the success of the film, Fulci began working on a sequel to be marketed as Zombie 3, but was sidelined by an illness and direction was taken over by Bruno Mattei and Claudio Fragasso, the latter of whom would go on to direct Zombie 4. As it stands, that is the final film in the zombie franchise, though I suppose, in accordance with Italian law, we can fly over there right now and make the fifth one whenever we want to. (laughs) We start the film with a revolver pointed directly into camera. Uh, In the reverse angle, we see a body wrapped in a sheet, slowly tipping up in bed until the gun is fired and we push into brains and mess spilling through the hole in the sheet. The gunman, silhouetted by light behind him, whispers, The boat can leave now. Tell the crew. He actually says a bunch of Italian words, but we watched the dub version, so. A sailboat floats past the 1980 New York skyline, complete with twin towers. The boat looks empty. The deck is scattered with books and cans just rolling around. The cans are rolling. The books, the books <laughs> aren't really rolling. Really the books are rolling around. Round books. Very supernatural. <laughs> <laughs> the passing Staten Island ferry honks at it. I don't feel like they had permission to block this ferry. I think this is a legitimate honk. We hear radio conversation as Chopper 1 is calling in the sailboat on a collision course with basically anything in the harbor. Harbor Patrol sends a boat out when Chopper 1 is unable to raise any crew. They recognize that the boat is empty and that for some reason they stand to make money off of it. Yeah. Um, I think it's like in Ghost Ship where they're literally just looking for empty ships that they can like tow and sell for parts. I'm, I'm assuming, yeah, like that. But aren't these the authorities? But I guess it's like a police auction in that, uh, you know, these things that get impounded if they're not claimed, like... The, the police can sell them. And but then, then the state it. makes the money, right? Like, not Yeah, but they, maybe, they get, a maybe they get a bonus or something. Maybe. But either way, they, they're identified by Chopper 1 as Harbor Patrol. Ahoy there! This is the Harbor Patrol! But they're wearing uh, New York Police Department uniforms because the people who played these characters were actually New York Police Department officers off-duty, but they provided their own uniforms. And it's and then shortly later they call them the Coast Guard. They do. So they're <laughs> they're pulling triple duty here. They board the ship and check below deck and it's gross. There's rotting food and flies and soiled clothing and uh, suddenly the sail is dropped on a patrolman's head because the winch is broken. So they kind of trade places and the second man moves below deck and he it looks like he has to like rub his eyes because of how pungent it is underneath. <laughs> so there's something here that they haven't found yet. He notices a handful of centipedes or millipedes, maybe, on the uh, yeah. on the keyboard. And uh, he tosses a blanket onto the floor and realizes quickly that it was wrapped around a disembodied hand that is also fairly decomposed. And while he's still reeling from that discovery, a huge zombified man bursts out of the back door of the ship and tackles him to the ground with hands around his throat. He scrapes at his attacker and peels off a huge chunk of skin and muscle from his side. And then as he's panicking... He screams from below deck, and the zombie tears a big strip of flesh from his neck, which sends blood spouting out of him inside the ship. The zombie moves above deck, approaching the first patrolman slowly, who tells him repeatedly to stop moving there before putting several shots through the attacker, knocking him overboard. I have many questions that I don't think will ever be answered. Sure. Is this large zombie one of the crew, or part of the crew, or... 
were there other crew? Is this the boat that the guy at the beginning said can leave now? Exactly. Yes, I okay. believe so, because okay. it had the letter from her father on it. So right. so somehow someone on this crew was either infected or there was a zombie stowed away. Correct. Uh, I think there were at least two people on board, because okay. the guy approaching the police officer has both hands, and they found a separate a hand. hand. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I, I was very confused as to like what became of the crew if they became zombies or well, and how it got all the way from I think they're in the Antilles. Well, we don't know it, when they turned. Maybe they were bringing one no, zombie for, for sure. Yeah. But I'm just saying this boat got all the way from the Antilles up to New York into the harbor, and then there's missing crew and yeah. dead and, people. Yeah, and and who locked them in the the thing? Well, I'm thinking that. There were at least two people on board, and that some someone stayed human until they got close enough to yeah. New York, but that there were dead people on the outside and inside of the ship. Mm. But also, I think those zombies are about as smart as our dog, who will just lock herself into any room she happens to go into. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> like, are there any corpses in here? No. Oh, I can't get out. I guess I'll just sit here. <laughs> guess there will be a corpse in here tomorrow, because I'm just not going anywhere. We cut to the offices of a newspaper shot in the real-life offices of Rupert Murdoch at the time, who lit into the crew for interrupting several meetings during the production. A man is on the phone taking down the details of the ghost boat and offering to put a reporter on it. This is editor-in-chief of the paper, played by director Lucio Fulci. Porter West is sent into the chief's office to discuss the assignment at Pier 15, and when he sits down, the chief asks if he's busy before referring to him as a limey. This is our first indication that the actor is British, since the guy who recorded the dub hasn't really spoken with a British accent thus far. <laughs> uh, when West pushes for more information, the chief elaborates that there's a boat without anyone on it, that there was a cop killed. Poke around a bit, see what you can find. But there was a guy on the boat. That's how the cop got killed. <laughs> Our second indication that this man is British comes when the chief tells him to keep the British out of his prose. Keep the British out of your prose, huh? Which reminded me of... The scene that opened the island earlier this year with Michael Caine pitching a story about another maritime mystery and being reprimanded by his supervisor for the Britishness of his writing. What is it with you, Limeys? Why do you have to use $10 words for two-bit thoughts? Expositorily, he adds, don't take advantage of the fact that your uncle bought the paper, but this plays no further part in the unfolding story. A team of investigators peruse the now docked ship while additional officers hold back a crowd of, for some reason, curious onlookers from contaminating the scene. Inside the ship, Miss Bowles stands at the foot of a tape outline of a slain officer, and she's just staring across the ship at them. Under questioning, she admits that the boat is her father's. Uh, she appears to be hyperventilating and could likely have identified the boat from the dock. Not sure why they needed to drag her in here. Well, they're also accusing her yeah. of like, it's like, He's like when she asks, "Where's my father?" And she goes, "That's what we want to know." It's well, like, yeah, it was the other way around because they they ask where her father is, and she was she says, "I was hoping you could tell me." Like I have no idea, but she hasn't heard from him in over a month, and it's been three months since they last spoke directly. Uh, that's when he apparently set sail for the Antilles. So was he on this boat? No, because I think he no three months ago is when he left. I get it. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. And so, he, and he wrote the letter saying that he's going to die in this place. Right, but weirdly, the subtitles here replace Antilles with Caribbean, deciding that the water is more important than the land. I guess she asks them what's going on, and they recap the story for us again. Even though Bowles said she already knew it, 
Strangely, though, here in place of the Harbor Patrol, which is how the men identified themselves as they approached the vessel, the detective calls the dead man a Coast Guard officer. Killed a member of the Coast Guard. Which is a different agency, specifically a federal and military agency. Miss Bowles wants to know what happened to the man who was attacked, but doesn't the tape outline usually imply death? I mean, yeah. I, or, she's just wondering specifically what the cause of death was. Or maybe she doesn't know that this was the officer's death. Like maybe. Maybe she thought it was her father's, and that's why she was freaking out. Oh, maybe. We cut to the New York office of the chief medical examiner. Coroner is expecting the body with an assistant who seems to have determined that the cause of death was a massive hemorrhaging from a severe laceration of the jugular. He's not wrong. No. But the coroner <laughs> pretends like he is. Uh, the coroner asks the assistant if he can tell what tore through the jugular, because to him it's quite obvious that these are bite marks. He asks for the scalpel, and when it's provided, it is far too dull for the coroner's liking, and he reprimands his assistant for not taking better care of the equipment. I wouldn't be able to cut my way through tissue paper with that. I don't, is that part of your job as an assistant to, like, sharpen the tools? I don't know. Uh, I am not a medical assistant. I cannot Anymore. Say. <laughs> didn't do a good job. I didn't, I didn't sharpen them tools. Uh, we pan slowly across the corpse on the autopsy slab to see that its arm is moving slowly under the blanket, or hopefully its arm. That night, an officer stands guard outside the docked ghost ship, but it's no use because Miss Bowles sneaks aboard. Below deck, she's exploring the ship, and it's no coincidence how much she resembles Mia Farrow here because this is Tisa Farrow, Mia Farrow's sister. Suddenly, a hand reaches out of the darkness and wraps tightly around her mouth. This is Peter West urging her silence. Evidently, the guard has now let multiple unrelated intruders onto yeah. the ship he is guarding. Well, and, and it seemed like he was already on the ship. Yeah. But he says that he followed her here. But he was definitely ahead of her yeah. on this path. She asks what he's doing on her father's boat, and he suggests that neither of them is buying the official police story, or she wouldn't be here either. But what is the official police story? And, and why the cop they, died. Yeah, it's and, not like there's a conspiracy they're covering and up. And why, what what cover-up, yeah, what, what possible story could they have told her that would be the official story? Yeah. And either way, there's no reason for him to be on this boat. There's nothing for him to find here. Well, but until he shows the thing that he found. Right, but that's not for him. It doesn't, it doesn't, it, it's not evidence to a conspiracy. He offers to share the information to get a more complete picture for each of them. And as incentive, he shows her this letter that he discovered on board. On board the ship that, that she ostensibly owns now. Like, it's her dad's ship and her yeah. dad's dead, so this is probably her boat now. Well, and well the, they don't know that he's dead. They just don't know where he is. Right. Yeah. But also, didn't the police search the boat? Evidently not. Uh, if she really wanted it, though, I feel like she would just scream for help from the cop on the dock, and he would probably have to return her property, this letter. When she tries to grab it away from him, they knock a lamp across the floor, and they call the attention of the guard anyway. West agrees to help her out of this jam, but keeps threatening her with getting caught on her own father's boat like he wouldn't be in way more trouble than she would. He tells her to just be quiet and do what he says. <laughs> Uh, as the cop moves below deck, the two of them are just making out ravenously on one of the bunks. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know what the plan here was because when we were watching, I, I joked, I was like, quick, make out with me. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> I was like, but yep. the, it doesn't solve the problem of we're not supposed to be here. Nope, not at all. And uh, you might as well just be standing there. Yeah. Be like, we yeah. snuck on. Sorry. Yeah. We, we were really seduced by all the rotting meat and flies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and. And that's pretty much their story in in that he says, oh, you know, I, I try to find places like we were in a boxcar. Yeah. It's like, she goes, He's oh, like, oh, it was her idea. I'd have been happy with a boxcar. It's like he, they like to, to apparently just fornicate in Gross odd places, <laughs> odd locations. 
But she's like, oh, no, never again. Not another boxcar. <laughs> well, she's totally in. Like, like yeah. she's committed to this uh, fantasy. But for some reason, the cop buys the whole ruse and he excuses them without any issue from this active crime scene. And no report. Nope, nothing. Uh, we cut to the next day as West is reading the letter over the phone while Bowles just stands there in shock, likely having just read the letter herself. But it's from her father and it's to her. He mentions that in the course of his investigations on this island, he's contracted some mysterious illness, and he ends the letter predicting that he won't leave the island alive, but reminds his daughter that he loves her before saying goodbye. West ropes his editor into buying them both tickets to the island to investigate further, again mirroring what happens in the movie The Island. When the plane lands in the Caribbean, they set about seeking a boat to the island Matul, that's where her father was, they have to bribe their cab driver to remember anyone they can charter a boat from in the Caribbean because <laughs> that's not a popular tourist thing, I guess. Uh, evidently, two American tourists are on the island, only two, and they might give them a ride if they ask. So they find Susan Barrett and Brian Hart prepping their ship to go out, and when he tells them that he's interested in hitching a ride to Matul, as they set about touring the islands, Brian and Susan give each other a knowing and foreboding look. Despite Peter's explanation that they are seeking Anne's missing father, Brian says, That's not a cool place to hit. The natives claim it's cursed. They avoid it like the plague. <laughs> Brian asks if they're experienced with boats, and Peter lies that he is, and then Anne claims to have been born on one. <laughs> we don't get any indication of whether that's true or not. I was born on a boat. They reluctantly agree to ferry them to Matul, but they need more supplies and they'll have to pay their share. And Brian says that they won't be hanging around waiting for them. I've found it never pays to ignore native superstitions. We cut to a radio room on Matul, where Dr. Menard is having a difficult time reaching... Guadalupe 1. Sounds like it's a, a Taco Bell menu item. It, now, is that, a, is that a boat? We don't know. It, it's either a boat or a radio room on a neighboring island that he's trying to reach. I'm not clear. But his lady friend Paula enters, aware that they seem stranded here, and she's desperate to leave. Dr. Menard, however, seems totally cool with being trapped on this island with this beautiful woman. She accuses him of having broken the radio intentionally, and he tries to cheer her up with that classic backhanded thing that guys in movies say, you look tired. And then she <laughs> and says, then, go to then, hell. And then backhands her. Yes, the other backhanded compliment of literally backhanding her, uh, which isn't so much a compliment. Uh, she starts drinking to calm down, and Menard is immediately leaving for the hospital because as she suspects they have found another one so i i think they were pronouncing it maynard which yeah. is the same as in the island which is the last name right. of our our heroes from the island I sure I hero know. i guess yeah. i'll try and say maynard if i can it's spelt like menard like <laughs> menard. the store Ma but it's maynard sure maynard that's what they've been saying they're also saying guadalupe and <laughs> And they will eventually say conquistadores. Yeah. <laughs> All right, touche. Um, she threatens to tell everyone what he's doing here, and that's when she gets the backhand. Right, she, who's she going to tell? Yeah. The radio's broken, one. And, and also, else... uh, my husband's making zombies? Okay, have another drink, lady. He's not, it's not his fault. He's not well, making He's experimenting them. with them. At he's the very trying least. to help them. I don't think he's trying to help the people that are infected. He's trying really? to find a way to prevent future infections yeah I, I mean he's providing end-of-life care for the ones that are already yeah I, I still think he's <laughs> trying that to what you call post end of life care <laughs> and, and end of pre end of life? second life care. yeah 
post-life care. Po- mm-hmm. I don't know. Either way, <laughs> I think he's trying to do stuff for the better good. Maybe. I don't know. The fact that this is based on Dr. Moreau makes me think that he cares more about getting his name on some research than he does about actually is, helping the is people. Is that what Dr. Island. Moreau cared about? I thought he was just trying to create a perfect society. Didn't he want credit for it, though? Isn't That's that what true. these maniacs usually want? Like, John Hammond is <laughs> is based on Moreau also, and they're both wearing, like, white shirt and pants on an island. That's just what you wear on islands. When you're a crazy scientist. It's hot. <laughs> it's hot. The what? sun, you don't want to wear dark colors. No, you're supposed to wear, like, thick black sweater <laughs> on your tropical island. Jeff Goldblum was totally inappropriately yeah. dressed for the that movie. The mathematician knows what he's doing. <laughs> Chaotician. Sorry. Sorry. He leaves for the hospital and we slow zoom into the crazy face of his wife as she sits on a bed staring into camera. On his way out, Maynard <laughs> Maynard instructs Miguel, his groundskeeper, not to let anyone in until he returns. Brian, Susan, Peter, and Anne float past a smaller island and a local on the dock solemnly genuflects as they pass. Maynard inspects blood samples under a microscope before drawing some of his own to squirt onto like the same slide on top of the other blood i mean i think that he was trying to come up with a reaction but like when they zoom into the slide you can clearly see that the little tiny glass square that you put on top to like press the other bits down i don't know it already has like it's already covered so you can't get at it (laughs) so the blood on top's not gonna do much either way he's a bad scientist Back on the boat, Brian's not having much luck locating Matul. He informs them that a lot of these islands aren't even charted. Susan asks if they can stop down for a moment so she can get some underwater shots, and she strips down to a bikini bottom, or I guess a thong. It's not even really a full bikini bottom. It doesn't even seem like a thong. It's like a piece of fabric that's yeah. just wrapped around her bottom. And she uh, she straps on her scuba gear, and while Susan's underwater, Anne notices that the island straight ahead in the direction the boat is moving could probably be Matul. Probably shouldn't be moving while Susan is taking pictures and, and, underwater. Yeah, and, and why was it necessary for her to do this? Uh, she's a photographer. She it, it was part to. of what she their said, trip was. She said the water was lovely. Yeah, but there is definitely an island straight ahead. While Susan continues her photo session, a tiger shark appears and pursues her. And when she finally notices it, she smashes herself against a coral reef to escape which would be extremely painful for someone who isn't totally naked underwater, let alone Susie here. She surfaces and screams to the boat for help, and Brian takes a few pointless shots at the shadow of the shark from above water. I think that's what he's doing, unless he's just trying to scare it. Uh, I mean, so first of all, as we know from Mythbusters, those bullets aren't going to go very far right. when they hit the water. the water. But two, at that angle and seeing the shark through the surface of the water, that mirror kind of right. like refraction, like you you can't tell where that shark is. Yeah. Uh, so you're, you're shooting at, at something, but the angle is completely wrong. And then we get a moment here where the shark full speed rams the boat yep. hard enough for like an Irwin Allen rock and roll and all the passengers are knocked on their sides. Susie hides behind another coral patch and suddenly a zombie throws a hand around her. She tears a piece of coral free from the rocks and scrubs it across the zombie's eyes when he won't let go of her. And when she finally breaks to the safety of the boat, the shark sets its eyes on the zombie. And then we get one of the coolest scenes ever in any zombie movie ever. I think it might be one of the coolest scenes in cinematic history. Maybe. Who's ever done this before? A zombie. Or again. (laughs) a, A person in a convincing zombie costume fighting an actual live and vicious shark underwater 
without like any noticeable protective gear or uh, or breathing gear yeah, yeah he's not he's not wearing anything to protect himself the, the person playing this zombie is the actual trainer of the shark the fact that there is a shark trainer is already pretty amazing yeah i didn't know you could train sharks to do anything there was another person that was supposed to play this zombie but he was quote-unquote sick the day of shooting uh-huh. which i don't believe I at all been too. <laughs> just like oh yeah uh sorry can't do that one but apparently this scene was organized by a producer and shot over lucio's objections uh, but it remains one of, if not the most iconic moment in this film. It's crazy that you would have a scene like this and have it potentially be the second most insane moment of the movie. Right. But uh, but I would say it's a, it's a close call. But also the way that they did this, in addition to it being the shark's trainer, was that they did sedate the shark slightly and the shark was also way overfed before they did the scene okay. so it's kind of like in the ninth configuration when you have the tiger and the lamb yeah it, that it's so full that it's not going to try and attack something for food right now anyway because it's not hungry but it's a really great scene it looks legitimately like this zombie is fighting this shark including at the end of the scene where the shark wrenches the zombie's arm off and just blood is spurting out into the water it's, very it's amazing cool. i mean i don't even know how i mean you just described how they did it but i still can't imagine having to court i mean you do talk about in movies that you don't work with you know kids and animals and then like because how predictable can you be like setting up a camera and knowing which direction this shark is going to be swimming to or from you and were they yeah. in a tank no this was in the water they're in the, so how do you know this shark isn't gonna just fuck off mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah i don't know like i'm full i'm out of here <laughs> i don't know how they did it exactly but it works really well After scrambling to the safety of the boat, Susan informs everyone that there was a man down there. A what? A man. There was a man down there. In the island hospital, Maynard is led to the newest patient and makes a determination that he won't last until morning. He instructs a nurse to remove him from the hospital to avoid panicking the other patients, who I think are already panicked, if not dead. A local tribesman comes to alert the doctor about a juju man, who the villagers agree has summoned this curse on the island. He says everyone is abandoning the village to stay safe from the voodoo. Uh, but Dr. Maynard doesn't want to involve himself in this discussion because he's a man of science and he's bothered anytime this comes up. That night, Miguel and a dog are standing watch outside the home of Dr. Maynard when some disturbing sounds come from nearby plants and they're sufficiently frightening that they just abandon their defensive post and leave Paula at the whims of whoever or whatever is lurking in these plants. Inside... Paula is showering in a hall of mirrors so that we can see as many parts of her as possible. Outside the window, a zombie hand scrapes against the glass. She redresses and takes some medicine with water. Maybe water. I don't know. She's drinking a lot. Uh, As she tips the glass, she seems to notice something disturbing in a nearby mirror's reflection. But even as the camera turns and focus is slightly adjusted, I'm not sure what we're supposed to notice here. Uh, She's startled by hissing wildlife outside and moves through a door with slats further into the house. When she tries to close the door behind her, she finds the doorway blocked with hideous decomposing fingers of a hand with a grip on the doorframe. As the fingers work the door open, we watch an adjacent wall as the light spreads across it, indicating that the door is further and further open until she buckles down and slams it. I love that shot. Yeah. I think it's really it's really great. It just lingers for a while while you're watching this this light just slowly expand on the wall. 
but she she gets her strength back she smashes it on these fingers over and over again until she's severed them all there's probably just a pile of fingers down at the bottom of the door and she notices that the monster is pushing through another slatted door and sets about barricading it until a full zombie arm just punches through at her and gets a good grip on her hair pulling her towards the punched in slat and so her eye is getting ever closer to this splintered out tip of the broken wood the arm keeps pulling her forward until her entire eye is just impaled completely on this piece of wood and it breaks off in her head as she comes completely through the doorway uh and then we cut away from this scene (laughs) I was getting a little little vibes of like Halloween here when she's you know hiding in the closet with the the slats on the door and, and yeah. the arm comes through with the with the knife. But I just like how how mechanically this is happening that there's nothing she can do about it and they draw it out for so long that you think that they're going to cut right before it makes contact with the eye so you're not expecting it and then in this extreme insert the the wood just goes right through her pupil it's so and just slow tears her eye out of the side of disgusting. her head. It's real gross. The nurse finds Dr. Maynard drunk on the shore, and she drags him back to the hospital. He agrees with her that voodoo can't be real, but they must be scientific. Uh, On the sailboat, Brian and Susan surface after checking the underside of the boat. For whatever reason, Susan is now completely nude and announces that the drive shaft is cracked, a result, she assumes, of the shark colliding with the boat. Brian is burnt as fuck suddenly. Like, uh, <laughs> Susan already had a bad sunburn before she went in the water, but Brian looks like he's just fell asleep drunk on this boat for like four days. Yeah, but it, but it's completely top down. So it's just from standing, like from standing out in the sun yeah. without a shirt on for so long. Either way, I would say that the thong budget was more than the sunscreen budget on this movie. <laughs> Makes you too glossy. Don't put it on. <laughs> Maynard puts a bullet through the head of an associate in the hospital, and it bleeds a lot for a corpse. Uh, Back on the boat, Brian is firing off flares in hopes of a rescue. Lucas, the man from the village, points the flares out to Maynard, and Lucas and a nurse dump the new corpse into a mass grave, which is maybe a foot and a half deep on the beach. So these are for sure just going to wash right back up. Yeah, it's in sand, and it's really shallow, and yeah. that's that's really just not going to stay. It looks like a hole that you could dig with your feet. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we've dug bigger holes on the beach trying to bury our children in the yeah. sand. <laughs> but those zombies still came back. In the hospital that night, we push in slowly on an afflicted woman who seems to be speaking to a dead husband who she buried and later saw walking. The next morning, we see a shape just shuffling down the main street of the village as a one-clawed crab crosses frame. We cut to Maynard already driving all of the boat passengers in. So in a scene that we didn't see, he made it out to the boat, collected all of them, and put them in his Jeep to take them to the hospital. He tells Anne that her father insisted on staying and being experimented on, in contrast with the wording of his final letter to her. A letter that Maynard should never have delivered to her himself if he didn't want her to know the yeah. truth. Do you, did he read it? No, but I wouldn't have given her a letter that could have potentially called me out as his murderer, essentially. Yeah. Flashback to Maynard sitting with her father at the end of his life. His last request was for Maynard to deliver this letter to Anne, and secondly, that he never be allowed to transform into one of these monsters. Technically, he doesn't deliver on either promise, because he waits for the doctor to change before killing him. But also, the letter was never properly delivered, and had to be stolen from a crime scene to make its way to her. When her father's body rises on the table, the doctor shoots it through the head, and we get a repeat of the opening shot, and we we see that this this is where we started the film. 
Anne asks what her father was infected with, and Maynard starts to explain to her what voodoo is, but Brian calls it a bunch of silly superstition after earlier insisting that it never pays to ignore Islander superstitions. He lectures further on the origins of voodoo, Brian does, and he says that it's a combination of Catholicism from conquering conquistadors, or conquistadors as he refers to them, conquistadores, and African religious rituals brought over by the slave trade. When they finally reach the hospital, Lucas tells Maynard that Fritz is on the Fritz. This is someone else who worked at the hospital is apparently infected now. Anne asks if something's wrong, and Maynard lies that his friend Fritz was just coincidentally injured and is here at the hospital now, so everything's okay. Uh, he goes to step inside, but instead of inviting them in, he says, hey, you know what? Why don't you go back to my house and make sure my wife's okay? Because I told her to just stay home. Mm -hmm. I told someone to guard her. So you go out there and you let me know how she's doing. Inside the hospital, Maynard learns that Fritz was bit by a loose zombie in the village. Back in the Jeep, the boat people discuss their intentions to leave the island as soon as they can, but they're following through on this task to check up on the doctor's wife for whatever reason. They pull up to the house and compliment its exterior. Uh, they aren't getting an answer at the door, so they move inside to check on Mrs. Maynard, and as they turn a corner, Susan screams because a pack of zombies are now chowing down on the corpse of Mrs. Maynard. Uh, I do like that not unlike the shark earlier that because they're full and they have their food in front of them that they, they're not interested or enticed by this scream they're just like oh people eh, i got my food here it mm -hmm. must be someone else's mm -hmm. order on their way out though they come face to face with a pack of arriving zombies who just got the text about the barbecue or whatever and uh they use decorative weapons mounted on the walls of this house to slice and stab their way out of it they drive back to the hospital to inform the doctor that he is once again an eligible bachelor. And at the hospital, the doctor basically has well, to wrap Fritz up. They don't uh, They don't make it back uh, the whole way on the Jeep, though. No, but they're, they're driving back to tell him that. Oh, yeah. They, they don't get the whole way there, but they're, they're headed that way to deliver that message. Uh, but back at the hospital, the doctor is has just lost Fritz. For some reason, he hasn't done the, the kill shot yet. On the back roads, the Jeep suddenly collides with a zombie pedestrian who just, like, jumped out of the woods to surprise them yeah. as a prank. <laughs> and uh, Brian is not – he's not well-trained in the art of avoiding people, so he just loses it and goes flying off the road, but still stomping the pedal to the floor until he crashes into a tree way off the road. I, I guess I, – I was thinking about this later. Um, I'm wondering if he was accelerating because he didn't want to get stuck in these bushes. So just got just got to keep – pushing through and so he hopefully we can yeah. get out of this clear. or maybe a terrible strategy <laughs> maybe he thought his foot was on the brake and he was accidentally slamming it on the gas mm. and the car just kept speeding up and he's like what's going on and he pushed harder and harder on the gas i remember i read this or no it wasn't a it wasn't an article it was a podcast i listened to it was just really disturbing like footage of people in cars that were going extremely fast where they were like the brakes aren't working. I just blew a bunch of red lights. And then they like died in a car accident. And the determination was made later that they were on the gas, not the brake. Hmm. That it was like once your brain has decided what pedal your foot is yeah. on that you can't differentiate. And uh, it's just really sad. <laughs> but maybe that's what happened here. In the crash, though, the vehicle here has been disabled. And Peter is basically hobbled. He's like got a huge gash open on his ankle. They follow the sound of tribal drums back to the hospital. I don't know why they lead that way, but... It seems like that's what they're following. And we never... Yeah. Does we never that pay off? No, it never pays nope. off. No. Nope. Like, even, even in Blue Lagoon, we have the over. You eventually of, see the yeah, locals. 
Well, it was funny because when it first started, I was like, oh, no, this is just soundtrack. That's not that's not actual people. And they're like, wait, there's drums. And we're yeah. Like, oh, OK. So this is leading us to something. And here the music is actually driving Susan crazy. Like she's just losing it and burying her face at Brian's chest because she can't take it I anymore. Mean, are there zombies playing drums? No, I think it's the the people in the village are trying to ward off the evil spirits with this music. Mm, all right. They continue through the plants along the shore. Uh, and we cut back to the hospital where Maynard now asks Lucas directly if this sickness might be voodoo related, which he already said it was. Lucas says that his grandfather always said, When the earth spit out the dead, they will come back to suck the blood from the living. That's nonsense. Which calls to mind the line from Zombie 1, a.k.a. Dawn of the Dead. When there's no more room in hell, the dead will walk here. Which in turn reminded me of Winston's line in Ghostbusters. Do you remember something in the Bible about last days when the dead would rise from the grave back with the boat people off the beaten path they've come across an ancient conquistador graveyard uh (laughs) brian finds a 400 year old bronze helmet and uh peter and ann decide to take a rest on these uh graves yeah for some reason she worries out loud that they will never escape this island and peter calms her down with another makeout sesh (laughs) however they are very quickly cock-blocked by a pair of decomposing fists, one of which grips Anne's hair and another one healthfully massages Peter's shattered ankle bones back into working condition. (laughs) Also, but I don't know what the rules are for zombies. Yeah. Uh, You know, I don't don't like zombie movies, but what amount of material on your body is required to make you mobile? Um, Almost none, it would seem. Yeah. Well, but these guys seem pretty fleshy for having died 400 years ago that's true and and being buried only again a foot deep in this beach well See, i'm more confused with what process reanimates you because these aren't these zombies clearly weren't these these corpses you, weren't bit back no, when they were but, alive but you're thinking about it like it's actually some sort of infection infection whereas they're saying it's voodoo as in there is some sort of magic that is bringing these things back to life, not a disease. Right, but some part of it does involve having been bit by a zombie turns you into one. So there's there's I don't there's I don't know if it does. I think these people are being bit and that's killing them and dying then makes so you become a zombie. If if they if you get bit and you can get far enough away before you die, you might not reanimate. Maybe. Okay. Interesting. Well, the, the, but that then doesn't apply to the ending then. Well, because what happens in in Night of the Living Dead, which is, you know, zombie negative one, I guess, is that it's like literally just radiation is causing these bodies to be reanimated. Yeah. So I guess it would mean that, right, it, it, because they are implying at the end that it's sort of spreading. Right. At, like a disease as but opposed there, to there it it's getting, anybody that dies. Right. That's true. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I would say if you're on the island and you got shot in the heart, no, no, no bite. You just someone just came up and shot you in the heart and you died. You would come back because there pe- people were talking about seeing their loved ones who who came back, who had been dead for a while already. Right, but uh, for whatever reason, if it's in the brain, then whatever it is that's reanimating your corpse can't actually control your body. But like, what? Well, see, to me, like, I know this is like a I guess a discussion for another podcast. Uh, what percentage of your body mass is required for you to be a zombie? Like. Can a skeleton be a zombie? I don't know. Can can a skeleton become mobile? 
Or do you have to have still well, some you, kind of... I think that the mass of body that you need to have is at least the brain or the brain stem because that is what we destroy in order to stop these things, right? So if right. You, so if the brain I think that's decayed, literally all that's required. Because in Return of the Living Dead, there's like a, a torso with a head that's thrown in through a window and can talk. Yeah. Um, it can talk? Oh, yeah. Uh, Return of the Living Dead is amazing. I've never seen those movies. Return of the Living Dead is the only zombie movie I will watch. Um, you because prefer- they're mostly comedies preferably with joe bob briggs's commentary yeah uh but uh yeah it's a talking a talking zombie that says that- a talking zombie <laughs> question mark exclamation mark <laughs> but but she is like mostly like just a little bit of meat but mostly bones yeah um like because her, her spine is like flopping around yeah, like a I th- tail i think as long as you have brain matter left which is which know. is why i feel like you're right a, a conquistador would have less brain mass left than someone who just got shot in the head yeah, yeah so they, they shouldn't have any brain mass left after yeah. 400 years who knows in either that, way in that damp soil yeah. <laughs> yeah like right on shore too but uh that happens Brian leaves to check on them as a worm-infested face is rising from the ground right in front of Susan and very slowly approaches her but makes it the whole way to her for a very deep neck bite. Brian is helping Anne and Peter escape their grasps, but when he comes back he sees that Susan has been killed or essentially doomed by this bite and Peter ends up bashing open the head of her attacker lifting up a crucifix grave marker from one of these conquistador graves and just smashes his head open and spills brains all across the dirt the boat crew reached the hospital that night with a herd of zombies in tow the doctor lets them in but they barricade the doors behind them and essentially inform him wordlessly of his wife's passing they just he says oh did you did you find her and they just like don't say anything and give him you know shitty looks and he's like okay cool i'm gonna hit on this nurse now Maynard discusses all of the scientific findings and seems to be having a breakdown when bacteriology, virology, and radiology can't explain the phenomenon. Uh, As the zombies eventually start breaking through the defenses of the church-slash-hospital, they start loading up shotguns and Molotov cocktails. Uh, Maynard is attacked by Fritz in the back room, who he neglected to uh, brain, but Brian takes this opportunity to teach himself zombie-killing techniques, He learns very quickly by shooting once into the chest, and when that doesn't stop the zombie, he shoots it in the head, and then it dies. So uh, he finds that Maynard is basically dead. He's he's been bit, and he's going to die, and he collects Maynard's gun as another zombie is standing up behind him. A new zombie takes a large bite out of Lucas's arm, and the nurse is just backing against the wall, terrified, until Brian rushes in to save the day, and he tells her to help him carry some Molotov cocktails after he headshots the three zombies in the room with her and when she turns around to collect what he said uh zombie lucas starts rising from the floor and gets her so now she's gone then he comes for ann and peter and peter takes him out when the crowd of the dead finally break through the walls uh, the survivors are just hurling molotov cocktails into the horde and they seem really ineffective yeah like they're they're not they're not like spreading the fire. They're just exploding. And, and they're not slowing down in their walk either. Yeah. They're still shambling forward. It seems like almost would have been better would be to have just thrown the full bottles at them first and let them smash on them and get them all coated. And then and then, light it. And yeah. then light them. But we got a lot of shooting and more bottles being thrown into the fire. As they move to escape out of the back of the hospital, Peter continues to waste ammunition where Brian is fully capable of disabling these monsters with the butt of his rifle until he comes face to face with susan zombie and he's you know transfixed it's his it's his wife 
or lover or whatever their relationship is and he can't bring himself to kill her and she gets close enough to take a big bite out of him before he demands for peter to shoot her they patch brian up and they rush him to the boat as the church finally erupts in flames and they do make it to the boat but brian basically passes out on board and he's unconscious as they're racing back to new york which is going to take them forever like they're not going back to like their own island system they're literally going to take this boat all the way back to new york but they have to go slowly because the drive shaft could come up right that's true after he passes out we get a pov shot of him kind of waking up on the boat as Anne puts a cold rag on brian's forehead for all of two seconds and then just pulls it back off but he dies anyway they decide to keep him on board though interesting choice peter seems to think that they'll need proof that any of this happened but I'd much rather have no proof that anything happened and stay alive. To cheer her up, Peter puts on the radio, and they learn here that the zombie cop in New York kicked off a full-scale pandemic and that the U.S. has been overrun with zombies. Brian has reanimated below deck and is struggling to get out of the ship, and we cut to New York as zombies are just wandering across Brooklyn Bridge. And the news anchor that was reading the story on the radio uh, is saying oh well the, i've just been informed that they're in the building oh my god they're in there ah and he's just getting eaten by zombies live on the radio just been informed that zombies have entered the building they're at the door they're coming in there is an absurd amount of traffic going across this bridge yes. for the horde of zombies that is taking the walkway it was definitely <laughs> a, a cheap shoot they yeah, just had like a bunch of extras down. they gave all these people like 20 40 bucks or something like that and dressed them all in makeup and just said you know walk slowly across this bridge and we got like one shot at this <laughs> but uh they also for for earlier when they were when they had the helicopter shots apparently used to be able to pay like 25 bucks for a helicopter ride around the bay mm-hmm. and so they just did that and then shot while they were on the helicopter and got all of their aerial footage like lucio by himself got all the aerial footage for this this uh sequence but yeah that's where we end the film with these the zombies just shambling over the bridge and uh we've lost the united states um and that's the end of our film our director here was lucio fulci uh he's probably best known for his gates of hell trilogy city of the living dead the beyond and house by the cemetery if not this i i usually go to this first but a lot of people prefer the beyond well this is the only movie i could have named of his yeah um he also did new york ripper and the black cat the writer here Alyssa briganti did 1990 the bronx warriors which is basically like an italian version of the warriors uh, she also did a movie called hands of steel uh, her husband writer dardano sachetti did bronx warriors with his wife and also a movie called Devilfish which I think is also called Shark in some markets. Tisa Farrow was Anne Bowles. She was a party guest in Manhattan because she is the sister of Mia Farrow. Uh, she was the lead in Anthropophagus, another Italian <laughs> gore fest. And uh, Richard Johnson was Dr. Maynard here. Uh, he was Dr. John Markway in the original Haunting, which is the part that Liam Neeson plays in the remake. Um, he plays Grandpa in The Boy with the Striped Pajamas. And he plays Hugh Drummond in a movie called Some Girls Do. Al Cliver was Brian Hull. He's in a movie called 2020 Texas Gladiators, which looks like another Italian Warriors that takes place right now. <laughs> Stefania DeMauro played Nurse Clara, Maynard's assistant. Uh, she was Linda, a stewardess in Cyclone. She played Jessica Murchison in Nightmare City. She also was in the art department for English Patient and she did costumes on tinto brass's miranda olga carlados played mrs maynard she was the woman in the puppet theater in once upon a time in america she plays 
her credit is just mother in purple rain but i don't think she is his mother i think she's a mother and she was also in cyclone as a character named monica uh, ramon bravo was the underwater zombie and shark trainer he was an actual shark trainer and uh, i don't believe for a second that the guy who was supposed to play this part was <laughs> sick that day uh gianetti de rossi played the zombie hand on paula that's the one that's trying to get through the door mm -hmm. that pulls her head through the spike and he was a makeup artist on this film and also did makeup on dune and high tension later so high tension yeah ah yeah worked for a long time yeah i was gonna say like that's that's a big i mean i'm sure he did that a was lot one of the other... most recent credits yeah. yeah exactly i was gonna say that's like a he i imagine he did other things no nope, just those two <laughs> just those two <laughs> no yeah a lot of stuff well the makeup in this movie was really interesting it, it was very simple but effective yeah i think it's different from what we've seen but i think they tried to do it cheaply but in a in you know an interesting and believable way i think the blood looks really good and i do like the idea of because it's mostly clay soft clay that they were able to do these faces up real quick but they could also mash insects into so that it looks like they're breaking through the skin of the people that they're on which it's just it's an extra level of realism i liked having the worms on the people's faces and stuff yeah. like that you don't i don't think i would really. like that if i were those people but no probably yeah. not <laughs> but uh yeah the and obviously the the killer makeup job is when the eye is coming apart on the door frame is just incredible i remember the first time we saw that i was just i was so sure that it wasn't going to happen by the time that it did that i just lost my mind for it and uh, obviously, it's amazing that you can have someone dress as a zombie underwater and not have that completely come apart while you're, like, wrestling with a shark for the scene. Yeah. I was impressed what they could do with the worms and, uh, you know, keeping them on the people's faces as they're coming out of these holes and stuff like that. Yeah. So we uh, we tried to do this in, in a haunted house room once where we actually tried to put real worms. It wasn't even a human, like, a real human head. It was, yeah. It was a fake human head and we tried to put worms on it and they, they just, just fall off they just fall off they just do whatever they, they just get they're out worms. of there they're just they're doing like, their worm i don't want to i don't want to sit on this thing but also <laughs> most of the people that have worms on their face in this movie are very very slowly just barely leaning forward so yeah and they probably put something on there to like keep them occupied oh yeah i probably wasn't smushing them into clay as much as these guys were or they maybe they were like <laughs> covered in like honey or glue or something something that would slow them down but maybe they them. sedated them no see that's the problem is like then they don't wiggle you know oh, that's true that's just a little bit just a little bit i'm just trying to, <laughs> I'm just trying to imagine like sedating a worm to what if you stick a little them, needle in them and just put a you little... dunk them in a four loco or something <laughs> <laughs> so then they have energy but they're oh, no, like, don't drink oh, that one. Cool. that's the four loco with the worms in it <laughs> You know, they say if you eat the worm at the bottom of the Four loco, <laughs> that you're fucking weird. <laughs> that you have a lawsuit against Four yeah. loco. <laughs> but yeah, I like this movie a lot. Not me. No, not Richard. <laughs> nope. You're going to hear that for most zombie movies, I suspect, until we get to the return of the living dead. Yeah. But yeah, no, this is, this is a classic for me. Um, and it's also a really, really nice transfer. Th this one is called Zombie because this is... Lucio Fulci's cut of the movie and it's zombie IE not I so it's the way that he wanted it to be released initially oh I'm sorry I thought you were like IE like example of a zombie no, I was no. like oh you're I, spelling zombie I get it now yeah I, I I thought that earlier the first time he said it when he <laughs> perfect <laughs> took me took me a little longer vis-a-vis -vis concordantly but yeah I like this one a lot this is a big thumbs up for me oh I give it a big thumbs up uh, it's gonna be a down for me. 
And you guys are going to hate where I put it on the list. No, it's okay. I mean, I just, I feel like even if you don't enjoy horror films, you could appreciate some of the artistic value in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's a no. <laughs> as long as it's above Caligula. That's all I ask. It yeah. is. Okay. okay it is above. In fact, it's there's there's two other ones that I put below it. To indicate why I might as well just say where I put it. Okay, where yeah, where's this going on your <laughs> list, Richard? Um, no, no, no. I'm gonna keep giving weird hints. <laughs> uh, this is number eighty-three. Um, Ouch. Uh, and uh, the only the only things that are below it are Caligula, Serial, and Bon Voyage, Charlie Brown. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> because seriously. Fuck Charlie Brown. You put this under Gorp? I put it You're under Gorp. Whoa. I would rather watch Gorp. No, you wouldn't. Whoa. I forgot watching Gorp. infuriating as that movie is. No. Oh, God. That's not even true. You know what? I don't, I'm don't. i not even offended because that's not even what you believe. Anyway, just where does it go on your list? <laughs> uh, <laughs> You'll see what you believe later when you look at the list. Significantly higher. I'm going to put this. I'm going to put it above... Die Laughing and Below Blue Lagoon, which is a lot in common with Blue Lagoon, actually. A lot of yeah. naked swimming and <laughs> islands, drumming. It's like 15th on my list, I think, so far for the year. All right. Um, I think this goes right above, right above Friday the 13th, and right under the Stuntman for me, which puts it in 11th. I think that's about everything for this one. If you guys have any thoughts you'd like to share with us, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd, where, as I've said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. We can also be found at VintageVideoPodcast.com. Please consider rating us on iTunes to help people find the show, and if you take the time to leave us a review, we will thank you personally in an upcoming episode. If you're feeling especially generous, you can also support the show through Patreon.com slash VintageVideoPodcast. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing The Earthling, which IMDb describes like so. Patrick Foley wants to spend his last days in an isolated Australian valley where he meets Sean, whose parents were killed in an accident. Unable to accompany the boy back to the civilized world, he teaches him a rugged way how to survive. That's, that's what it said. A rugged way how to survive. <laughs> I would take the word how out and just say a rugged way to survive. Uh, we leave you now with the trailer for The Earthling. After 40 years, Patrick Foley is going home. Home to the only place he was ever really happy. It's a valley within a valley. It isn't easy to find or get into. Never been put on a map. But his journey is interrupted. He is a silent witness to a terrible tragedy. I can't hold it! That's the hard truth. And someday you're going to die, just like someday I'm going to die. Till then, you fight like hell to stay alive. You get that? You look to the creeks for food, uh, water plants, and you eat bugs. 
and I don't care what kind, because they're nothing but protein and fat anyway. And you catch frogs, and you eat flowers. No. <laughs> That's how I outsmart all those wonderful creatures. Next time, catch your own. Holy? Yeah. My clothes stink. Wash them. Get your own fish. Two alone in the wilderness, bound together in an extraordinary adventure of survival. Look behind you! <laughs> Academy Award winner William Holden finds his life's meaning in a selfless act of love. Ricky Schroeder, sensational young star of The Champ, is the boy. He will soon once more be alone, but he will carry with him the lessons of a lifetime. I love you. I never told my father that. I love you. Don't ever be ashamed of love, boy. Show it. Always show it. They were earthlings in this strange valley. The man would never leave. The boy would never come back. The earthling 